All right. Uh, next on our agenda is uh, for prayer or a meditation. And our speaker for today, Russ Funk, has agreed to deliver that instead of me much better. Uh, Russ Funk briefly is the coordinator of the Kentucky UU Justin Justice Action Network, and I'll tell you more about him later. Thank you, Jack. Good morning. As we get settled in for the opening reading, I invite you again to get centered. And for a moment, I want to talk about what I mean by being centered. Because as progressive people, we tend to lean forward and lean in. And in this time of COVID over the past two years, we've tended to lean in to the screen as if we could break the barrier of the, in our, in our desire for human connection and break through that barrier of the screen and actually connect with the person. But what happens when we lean in? What happens when we lean in is we tend to hunch our shoulders and curl in. And this has two effects on our heart and on our lungs. It constricts them both. And I ask you for a moment to think about what, what is the purpose of our lungs? The purpose of our lungs is to express toxicity. And inhale sacredness into our bodies, into our souls. And what is the purpose of our heart except to keep us alive and share love and joy? And when we constrict that, we restrict our ability to do so. So I ask you for a moment to get centered. And what I mean by centered is making your feet firmly on the ground, making sure your hips are squared over your feet, your back is straight, your shoulders squared over your hips, your neck is straight, your head is squared over your shoulders. I suggest that more than likely over the next hour or so, you're going to feel yourself starting to lean in and feel yourself start to curl over. So check in every now and again and get centered again. The effect of this is that we are better connected with each other. We are connected. We are better connected with ourselves. We are be able, better able to breathe in this space together and the blessedness that we are creating together. And we allow our heart to do what our heart is designed to do, which is not only to pump our blood, but also to share compassion and love and sacredness. Last weekend, I went for on a walk with my partner at the Arboretum. There's this little makeshift stream, and all the trees along the stream had their roots in the stream. It just makes me think of how, the, what, how, how that happened and how long it would take. I'm sorry, how long it would have taken for the roots to reach there and how that tree had to survive before those roots reached the stream. This helps me to think about how, when we feel limitation, this is when we figure out how infinite our possibilities for us to grow out, around, through, to reach our abundance. Christine Dijin. Thank you, Russ. So today's reading is by Richard Wagamese from his book, Embers, One Ojibwe's Meditations. And this is the book right here. It's a wonderful little book. And uh, if anybody would like to check it out, just see me after the service. <clears throat> Standing in the early morning chill, cleaning the car of snow, scraping ice from the windows, I look up and around me at the morning filled with things to see. 
the way the ice fog magnifies the mountain in the near distance so that it appears closer. The ballet of cat tracks in the snow, the bare feet, bare trees like arterial networks in the dimness. The house slumped like a great sleeping bear under the white rug of winter. It occurs to me that the secret of fully being here, walking the skin of this planet, is to learn to see things as though it were for the first time or the last. When we do this, nothing is too small then, too mundane, too usual. Everything is wonder. Everything is magical. Everything moves my spirit. And I then am spiritual. So now I'm going to give you the full uh, intro for Russ Funk, coordinator of the Kentucky UU Justice Action Network. Russ works as a consultant and activist helping efforts for racial and gender justice. He's the author of four books, most recently, What's Wrong with This Picture? The Impact of Men Viewing Pornography. We're ple pleased to have Russ Funk with us today. Good morning again. Um, our first principle reads, the inherent worth and dignity of all persons. What would happen if we applied that to the earth and the natural world? I want to thank you all for inviting me, particularly Eric, who navigated this process of allowing me to be here this morning, um, and also the, the whole crew of the, the uh, worship committee. Um, you all have really kind of made it easy for me. I just get to show up and run my mouth for a few minutes. <clears throat> um, I also have to give a shout out and thank thank my partner and our child who um, Sundays is a family day for us and uh, there's a bit of a sacrifice on their end as well. Um, they have to pick up some different responsibilities when I'm away on a Sunday, so thank you Amy and Kiernan. For those of you who are not aware, the Kentucky UU Justice Action Network is about a year and a half old, I think, um, and we are your statewide effort to engage in justice activism, both from the congregations across the state in Frankfurt and other places, and to help congregations develop their justice initiatives. Our four main foci right now are climate justice, democracy, racial justice, and reproductive justice. Given that this is April, the, the month of Earth Day, I want to focus my comments on that area of our, of our focus, the area of our faith that focuses on climate justice. And as you all know, uh, there's kind of these two competing factors that are going on in our world right now. On the one hand, we have some humans who believe that, uh, that we are in relation with the Earth, and by extension, all of her inhabitants. This perspective, which is most graphically depicted by any number of indigenous communities, faiths and activists suggest that we as human beings come from the earth, are part of the earth, are connected to the earth, and should therefore act as we have a relationship with the earth. On the other hand are those human beings who believe that we are put here to have dominion over the earth. This perspective seems to me that we get to take what we want. 
and that the Earth is little more than a storage bin of resources, materials, and supplies for us to figure out how to use to our humans' advantage. As is patently obvious, the second perspective is the one that drives our capitalist patriarchal white supremacist notion of development and growth. We dig, we pound, we drill, we extract, we mine, we bulldoze, we drive, we explode in order to get what we want, in order to fulfill our needs. Either ignoring the impact of what we do and the damage that we cause, or blindly hoping that the earth and all of its wonder will heal itself. As a white person who was raised to be a man in this context, in this world, I am painfully aware of the second perspective and how deeply it has been driven into my bones and how I understand my relationship to the earth and the people around me. White supremacist capitalist patriarchy, patriarchy is based and continues to reinforce and maintains this idea. As Charles Derber, and I'm gonna butcher this last name, pardon me, and Yale McGrath discuss in their 2017 book, Bully Nation, quote, according to the property concept that is central to capitalist patriarchy, value and wealth are only possible within privately owned systems, end quote. One of the main ways that we, i.e. humans, are able to own property begins with this notion that property can in fact be owned, bought, sold, and controlled. And the way that we practice ownership, buying, selling, controlling, is based in, in turn on this idea of dominance. Again, to quote Derber and McGrath, capitalist patriarchy is based on dominance, and as such, it is difficult to reconceive of any relations, including our relationships with the natural world, that are not hierarchical and based on power. As we all know, one of the main, main ways we learn to demonstrate power over other things, other people, is the, the degree to which we can assert control. To quote to, from Derber and McGrath one more time, climate change reflects a mentality of power and control in which nothing is left to, to the control of others. All means, including violence, are used to keep and maintain control. This conviction is central to bullying. For bullying is about power inequality and the abuse, and the abuse of power that arise from hierarchy and dominance, whether that is bullying on the schoolyard, bullying in the office, bullying on the street, or bullying our planet. It is this conviction of power and control, and this, the entitlement that we teach and we learn about who is entitled to be in power and control, and the measures one has the right to use. This is at the heart of bullying. According to white supremacist patriarchal, sorry, according to white supremacist capitalist, capitalist patriarchy, the earth and the natural world are ours. It is what we get to own. The resources are ours, and the right to and responsibility to do what we need with those resources is within our control, whether that is to protect our property or use our property. I was born and raised in South Texas. And gardening and hunting were a big part of my coming up, part of my bonding with my other family members and what have you. Now, I don't know how much you know about South Texas, but South Texas is, is a particularly harsh space to try and garden. 
The land that is best designed for mesquite and cactus requires some heavy-duty coaxing to pull out peppers or tomatoes or herbs. But my experience of gardening was that something, the gardening is something I do to the earth, not with the earth. It was not a relational dynamic. Basically, I was forcing the earth to do what I wanted it to do. It was my demonstrating my mastery, control, dominance over the earth. As a hunter, I hunted armadillo, wild-tailed deer, turkey, and rattlesnake. A couple of times I went on, went on hunting trips for um, wild boar, but thankfully never found anything. Hunting was something that I did with my family and friends and to the animals that we hunted. As an example, I was allowed very little emotional reaction when I actually shot and killed or hurt, wounded an animal. Other than joy, excitement, and pleasure, I wasn't allowed to feel my natural connection to what I had just wounded. I think this was part of being human. I think a lot of it was also part of being a boy in South Texas and the allowance that we, I was allowed or not to feel anything other than, well, a limited handful of feelings, joy, accomplishment, anticipation, excitement, the thrill of the hunt. But my actual feelings were actually quite different. There was a part of me every time I shot that felt anger, grief, sorrow, disgust, a level of guilt, particularly when I shot and wounded but did not kill. And I heard the cries of the creature that I had shot. And I saw the fear in their eyes as they died. Now, in terms of my own hierarchy of equality, or my hierarchy of feelings, those feelings were greater for deer and less so for rattlesnake. Let's just be honest. But those feelings were still there. Which suggests, again, my, my own sense of internalized worthiness towards the creatures I share this planet with. As I was writing this, it was in the midst of the Senate confirmation hearings of Ketanji Brown Jackson for the Supreme, Supreme Court Justice. Can we just give a moment and honor that moment? And as I watched those hearings, I was struck by the ways that this white supremacist capitalist patriarchy manifests itself in different ways. I have a hard time experiencing the way those white men in the Senate treated Kajani Brown Jackson, other than bullying. Whether they were white male Democrats or white male Republicans didn't really matter. The white male Democrats had a more benign <laughs> bullying that they engaged in, but it was still bullying. It was still dominance. The, honor, the, the interaction between Senator, Senator, Senator Booker, the one other black person, on, the only black person on the, on the Senate committee, and the white women on the Senate committee was actually markedly different. Those interactions were actually relational, were actually connections with her. But the white guys, again, I can only experience that with bullying. And another manifestation, another example of what we learn about how we treat and interact with others. This is the lesson we learned from, that I learned growing up in South Texas around my relationship to the earth, my relationship to those animals, that also in, 
manifest in how I treat women and how I treat black and brown folks. Those other human beings, just like those other creatures. And let us not forget that for a long time in our history, some of those other people were actually understood to be property of white people. That we could do with what we want to to those people. Our first principle, again, declares that we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. So what happens when we extend that belief, that principle, to the earth and the natural world? What happens when we act as if this principle includes how we interact with the earth and the planet itself? What are our responsibilities if we act as if the earth itself has inherent worth and dignity? How do we respond to the exploitation of the earth and the, and the dominance of the natural world if we acted as if applying this principle of, it, of itself mattered? Some of you state that our seventh principle captures this to some degree. But it seems to me worth noticing that that is the last of our principles, unless, we, unless you all have adopted the eighth, which I know you have, so seventh of eighth rather than the first. And I think naming it as the first means something to us. Part of what happens, to answer some of my questions, part of what happens if we apply the first principle to the earth and the natural world is that we deepen our effectiveness. Part of what we happens is we actually practice intersectionality. Part of what we happens is that we make more meaningful impact. Part of what happens when we act as if others have inherent worth and dignity is that we take responsibility, caring responsibility, for the impact of how we interact with them, which means acknowledging the harm, intentionally or not. The harm that we did, intention the harm that we did intentionally or not, not, not acknowledging in intentionally or not. Inherent in our practice of the first principle is practicing meaningful accountability. Acknowledging the ways that I have violated the first principle and making appropriate amends. If our first principle includes the earth and the natural world, then practicing the first principle also means making social, political, and, and economic decision, decisions, individually and collectively, taking responsibility for the impact of our other decisions, taking pers making per per personal, collect individual, and collective amends for the harms that we cause by some of our other decisions. I don't know your, your church community very well. But what I have learned is the way that you have taken forceful action applying the first principle to the earth in terms of your relationship here with the earth, in terms of how you interact with, the, with this little section of the earth that you are, have some synergy with. Those are lessons that you can share with other congregations, not just UU congregations through the Kujan network, as an example, but other congregations of other faiths other communities of other congregations, other communities out, not, not of faith. The kind of work you do on this, on this space, the kind of advocacy that you all are engaged in in order to make the difference that you're making here, the ways that you are practicing, the lessons that you're learning, I ask you to take a moment and notice what those lessons are and show the, share those lessons with the rest of us because there's value in that. There's value in us acknowledging and practicing how we practice the inherent worth and dignity of the earth and in the natural world. 
how we, the lessons that we learned about how to practice that. And you all have some lessons to share. As you all know and demonstrate, as you are, we are human beings who are from and of the natural world. I'm not sure why the original authors of our principles neglected to add the earth and the natural world to the first principle. But I do know that we have the choice to act as if we are when we practice our principles. So we can act based on our first principle as if it includes the earth and the natural world. We can and should learn to walk more gently on this earth of which we are a part. We can and should treat this earth and the natural world as if it has inherent worth and dignity. We can and should be better than what we were taught. Thank you.